Our second lesson for this morning comes from the book of Genesis, the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 7. So listen now for the word of God. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said again, now you have conceived and shall bear a son and you shall call him Ishmael. For the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are Elroy, she said. Have I really seen God face to face and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahoiroi, It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar did indeed bear Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire and lighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you're not with us, then nothing else matters. We pray in the name of the one you called beloved, Jesus the Christ. Amen. It may be early August. Still 100 degrees outside some of these days, but the school system seems to think that it's fall. It's a season of new beginnings, certainly for our kids. It's the time of year for new shoes and new teachers and new schools and new backpacks, freshly blessed. And new beginnings, as Pastor Amanda pointed out, are exciting and also just just a little bit scary. Because alongside navigating new hallways and finding the right bus to ride home, the real stressor at the beginning of the year for most kids is who are you going to be friends with? Getting to know your classmates, exactly who am I going to sit with at lunch? Who am I going to play with on the playground? Is anybody going to notice me? As the school year begins this morning, we also, of course, kick off another year of life together as a church. And just like at school, the fall offers us a fresh chance to get to know each other. So this week and in the coming weeks, the sermons will take on some heartfelt questions, the ones that help us get acquainted with one another and with God. We'll ask the kind of questions that you ask when you get to know someone on a genuine and a deep level. The ones maybe you've been meaning to ask. Where are you from? What do you need? Where does it hurt? 
But before we ask any of those deep questions, we have to start at the very beginning with the most elemental question of all, the question, who are you? It's a loaded question, of course. It comes with all kinds of depth and complexity because we all have stories. But before we dive into any of our whole life stories, if someone just comes up and says, who are you? I tend to start with my name. I'm Katie. Who are you? I'm Randy. And who are you? We start with our names. To be called by name is one of the first ways that we can feel seen and known. It's, it's the way that we come to know that someone has taken notice that we're even here at all. So however else you might answer the question, we begin with our name as a central part of our identity. And so it's really significant that the angel of the Lord in today's scripture begins by calling Hagar by name. In case you haven't noticed, not everybody in scripture gets a name, especially women and slaves and those on the margins, all of which Hagar is. But the angel of the Lord calls her by name. Interestingly, Hagar is a non-name name. It's a name that actually means stranger, alien, immigrant, at its very Hebrew roots. But it's her name, and the angel of the Lord calls her by name. Underneath her name, of course, is a story, just like each of us carry stories. Hagar was the slave of Abram and Sarah. We meet her in this morning's scripture out in the wilderness, pregnant with Abram's child, a conception that was most certainly non-consensual. This pregnancy had been endorsed by Abraham's wife, Sarah, because God had promised Abraham and Sarah offspring, but Sarah, after months and months and months, remained barren, and they had grown impatient. And so her slave, Sarah, or Hagar, becomes her surrogate. But when Hagar conceived and then looked at Sarah the wrong way with contempt, the scriptures say, Sarah's, Sarah's jealousy grew great. And she treated Hagar harshly, and Hagar chose to run away out into the wilderness by herself. Hagar's story isn't full, is full of pain and rejection and oppression. It's not an easy story. Many of our stories are not easy either. She lived into her name's meaning. And so here Hagar is in this morning's text, the stranger in the wilderness, feeling totally alone, judged by the people who are supposed to care about her well-being. And precisely in the moment when she feels most invisible and most marginalized, the angel of the Lord appears and calls her by name. Can you imagine how that must have felt? To feel totally lost and without hope, and then suddenly you hear your name out of the abyss. I imagine that she felt seen and known and probably a fair bit terrified. And what follows is a message. The angel of the Lord comes to bring her a word of challenge and promise because that's what angels do, right? They're messengers. And it's a complicated message. But Hagar listens because there is no mistaking 
that it's a message for her. After all, the angel had said her name. The challenge that comes from this message is to go and return to Sarah. And all of our modern ears hear this story and certainly struggle with the idea that God would call her to return to someone who has enslaved or harmed her in any way. It feels wildly unjust and unmerciful. And yet, in this nomadic situation, alone in the wilderness, it probably was necessary for both her and her child's survival. And so she's called to go back, but with that call to return comes a promise. The promise of God that there is a future not only for her, but for this child whom she is carrying, that their offspring will be very great. The God who knows her by name is the one who is paving a way forward for her and for this child to be. Now, if I were Hagar, I have no idea how I would have responded. But in that moment, she does a pretty remarkable thing. Hagar responds to the God who has called her by name by calling God by name. It turns out that Hagar is, in fact, the first person in all of our holy scriptures to address God with a formal name. She calls God Elroy, the God who sees in Hebrew. And her response indicates a desire for a relationship with God. She wants to know the God who has taken notice of her. Now, there's no question in my mind that Hagar's name is a fitting name for God. The psalmist this morning seems to know this same God, the God who sees. Listen again to the psalmist's words. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You seek out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Hagar worships a God who sees. The psalmist worships a God who sees. And all of us are here because we worship a God who sees. But Hagar, the stranger in the wilderness, is the first to greet God by name. And of course, as we dive deeper into the scriptures, we know that God didn't just see Hagar. God didn't just see people in the Old Testament. We worship a God who sees every single one of us. God looks on us with love and compassion. God sees us not just when we're thriving, but particularly in those moments in the wilderness like Hagar. The ones where we feel forgotten, unjudged, excluded, and full of doubt. God sees us with all of our idiosyncrasies, with our various personalities at our best, and especially when we're not. This weekend, your elders and deacons and pastors and I spent time together on our annual leadership retreat. On Friday night, when we gathered around dinner, our incoming elders and deacons, the ones that we will ordain and install next week, they were invited to share their faith stories with us. They were asked to introduce themselves and then to share who they understand God to be. And as they shared their stories, I noticed how many of them are here among us because of Elroy, the God who sees, the God who saw them 
and loved them and was present for them, even when churches rejected their calls to leadership, even when their worth was questioned because of their gender or sexual orientation, in the times when they felt completely at home here, and in seasons of uncertainty and doubt. Your elders and deacons told stories of a God who sees, a God who is fundamentally good, and a God who created each and every one of us in the image of God. Because God saw and loved each of your elders and deacons, because God loves and sees each of you, we then are charged to see and know one another as well, especially those on the margins like Hagar. Your elders and deacons said yes to serving the church, not only because God saw them as holy and beloved, but because once you've been seen, you want to help others have that feeling of being seen too. Once you've had the joy of feeling known and loved, you want to know and love others as well. And because we were made in the image of God, We are able, if we choose, to see as God sees, to look upon others with love, to spot the ones who might feel left out or judged, to see the gifts of each and every one of our neighbors. But this morning's text seems seems to also suggest that just seeing isn't enough. Because we know that both God knows us by name, we are also called to know others by name. You know, there's a story of a girl named Shy Johnson. She was 16 and had a developmental disability that meant that she couldn't do all of the things that her other friends at school could do. And she struggled a lot despite doing her best. She struggled to make friends because she was so different. She was sort of the definition of a kid on the margins at school. And not long into the school year, She started to get bullied, and she had no one to sit with at lunch. And she would come home in the evenings and cry at night to her mom that school was just terrible. And so her mom did what you do as an advocate. She called the teachers and the principals, and she said, this is what's happening. Can you do anything about it? But day after day passed, and nothing seemed to get better. And her mom was this close to taking her out of school. But they were neighbors with this kid named Carson Jones. And Carson happened to be the star quarterback, one of the popular kids at school. And where no one seemed to know Shy's name, everybody knew Carson's. But Shy and Carson had grown up together. Even though they had run in different circles, they at least you know, could pick each other out of a lineup in the neighborhood. And so in this last-ditch effort, Shai's mom found him on Facebook and sent him a message and said, listen, Shai can't figure out why people are bullying her. Could you just, she can't even tell me who's doing it. Could you just keep your ears to the ground? And if you see it, could you let me know who so I can report them? And then she didn't hear anything back. And several days passed. And the mom was just feeling totally heartbroken for her daughter, this daughter whom she loved. The daughter who she could see had an abundance of gifts and had a really big heart for others. But no one at school seemed to see her as worthy of love and belonging. 
But a few days had passed, and Shai came home from school one day just beaming. And her mom said, what, what happened? What changed? She said, Car- Carson invited me to sit at the lunch table today. He introduced me to all of the football players, Mom. And they walked me with class, which meant nobody bugged me in the hallways, and we laughed together. And then they said, there's a spot for me with them. Well, word got out about what Carson had done. He started to get touted. It wasn't enough that he was the star quarterback, right? He started to get touted as, like, the hero of the school, so much that the local news came and interviewed him. And when he got interviewed, he, he finally said, it, I wasn't nice to shy to get any kind of, like, accolades. I wasn't trying to be a hero. I didn't even tell my mom I did it. It was just the right thing to do. And besides, when you get to know Shy, it turns out she's really cool. It mattered that he saw an outsider the way God sees an outsider, as one of value and worth. It mattered that Carson called Shy by name and those football players learned her name too. It mattered that he helped her feel seen and known and loved. So if God sees each of us as beloved, especially the outsider, the one on the margins, the Hagars and the Shies of the world, then we are in fact called to see others the way God sees. We're called to look with those love lenses that Pastor Amanda had with the eyes of God upon others. To spot that friend who doesn't have anyone to sit with at lunch. To spot the person that came into church this morning and is sitting alone in a pew. To spot the exasperated parent who is in desperate need of an adult conversation. To spot the person experiencing homelessness who no one has called my name in a long time. And we're called not just to see them, but to ask, who are you with genuine interest. So your challenge this week, as we begin to get to know each other on a deeper level, is to find at least one person in your walk of life this week, one person that you don't know. Maybe it's someone in your midst today, someone that you've encountered for a long time at church but never really gotten to know by name. Maybe it's the grocery store checkout clerk. Maybe it's the new kid in class. Maybe it's that neighbor who you call Rover's mom because you know the dog's name, but you don't know your neighbor's name. Find at least one person this week and learn their name. And if you have time, ask with intention, who are you? For as we come to know one another's names and stories, we discover not only a measure of our common humanity, but we draw closer to the God who sees. May it be so. Amen.